everyone, and thanks for joining us on the Nolan Podcast. I'm digital multimedia editor Noah Brown. We've got a good show for you today. I spoke with Martin Moore, an Australian-based leadership performance expert and co-founder of Your CEO Mentor, about how to get the most out of your employees by improving your habits and behaviors as a manager. Started the conversation with Marty about why it's beneficial to have a diverse workforce that feels empowered to speak up and make suggestions. What's the value in diversity? We do see research coming out all the time saying that companies that have a broad range of diversity uh, perform better and are more profitable. Uh, For me, I'd just like to get a little bit below that because that by itself, I just don't think tells the story. Now, it's great to have diversity. And when we talk about diversity, we can talk about many things. We can talk about uh, gender. We can talk about ethnicity. We can talk about sexual orientation. We can talk about a whole range of different diverse backgrounds that give people different perspectives. And that's all fantastic. And it's, it's, it's um, if nothing else, morally, it, it's the right way to do things. But in terms of business performance, where I'm most interested, what I found is that the real value in diversity comes by being able to bring it out. And you only bring it out when you get people to be encouraged to actually put their opinions on the table, to be able to articulate what they believe a great solution is for a problem and to contribute to decision-making and problem-solving forums. Now, funnily enough, In most work environments, a lot of employees won't contribute, either because they aren't confident enough or they don't feel as though they have anything to contribute or they believe that their boss doesn't listen to them, so why bother anyway? So the real art of being able to unlock diversity, because there is true value in that, I believe, but the real art of being able to unlock it is to be able to give people the confidence that they can contribute, that they will be heard, and that you will uh, make a difference based on the things that they say and the things they have to offer. What I've seen has been common across most industries is exactly that thing, motivation is motivation. And if you treat people well and you give them uh, a purpose for being there, uh, you find that they perform differently than they would if they were just coming in to collect a paycheck as a, you know, as a summer, um, a summer employee, you know, or an intern. Um, I've worked in a lot of blue collar industries too. So mining, you know, transport, um, electricity generation, these are industries where you do have a very large blue-collar workforce doing manual work, whether it's, you know, electrical or mechanical. And, um, and I've found that doing that, every person, every human, even though they're individually different, are all driven by very similar things. So when you're trying to motivate them, the first thing is show them how they make a difference. Like show them that they make a difference. Show where they fit into the big picture. So paint that picture of, you know, here's, here's why we're here. Here's what, here's what our business does. And here's the value that we bring to our customers. And the part that you play in that is this part and giving them that connection between the purpose and the value that the company has to what they do day to day. That's the first thing. The second thing is that people love autonomy. They love being able to make their own decisions and to be self-determining. So if you're standing over them saying, all right, we'll turn <laughs> turn that screwdriver anti-clockwise four times, right? That's very different from saying, hey, can you get me this outcome? So giving them the, uh, the sense of what you want them to achieve and letting them have some say and autonomy over how they do that is also very empowering. And so that will change the way they see their role. Um, and, uh, and of course, giving them a sense of uh, mastery of skills. So as long as they're learning and growing and feeling as though they're having a challenge in their job. Now, not every job can provide this, but the greater the extent to which you can give them challenge, the better off they're going to be, the better better they're going to feel, 
um, the more they're going to contribute and they can see themselves getting better and they go, hey, wow, this is sort of cool. Uh, and I think those things are very, very common regardless of industry or job type. There is an opportunity for doing that in most jobs if we think about it you know, a little more carefully. So it sounds like a lot of this starts at the top with a leader or manager wanting to improve not just their workforce, but also themselves. Your podcast and your book are called No Bullshit Leadership. How do managers and people in positions of leadership begin to identify what that bullshit is and how do they then go about cutting it out? <laughs> well, that's a really good question. I think I think the bullshit is all around us. The, the, the first thing is that as humans, we tend to fool ourselves more than anything else. We tend to tell ourselves stories and we tend to rationalize so that we can make sense of our world. And I think uh, a really good example is just the avoidance that leaders go through. Now, leaders have to do some pretty difficult things, right? If I have to have a difficult conversation with you, Noah, I would say, all right, come into my office, let's sit down, I want to have a chat to you. And if I have to give you some hard news or some difficult messages, that's going to be a potentially conflict situation. And, and both of us are going to feel pretty uncomfortable about that. Now, as a leader, what most people do is they avoid those situations. So instead of me saying, Noah, step into my office, I go, ah, you know, I should probably talk to Noah, but I'm really busy this morning, so I'll go and do this instead. And I avoid it. But to cope with that inside myself, I'll say to myself, mm, I don't really need to talk to Noah. Like, he's doing okay. He'll be okay if I don't have that conversation. Now I start to rationalize. And that's what I call believing your own bullshit. If you believe your own bullshit about the way you're behaving and, and performing, if you believe your own bullshit about how much of the uh, uh, any particular result is attributable to you as opposed to either your team or external factors beyond your control, these are the sorts of things that push you to believe your own bullshit. So I like to just question and challenge conventional wisdom. And, and part of being a leader is that ability to, uh, to listen to a lot of different viewpoints take in a lot of different information and sift through it to try and understand what's valuable and what's true. So, for example, um, these days we hear a lot of stuff about virtue signaling and what great leaders are supposed to be like. So great leaders are humble. And we hear this all the time. Are great leaders humble? Is humility a good quality for a leader to have? Gee, I don't know, maybe. Like humility is awesome, but if you're humble and you're also decisive, that is incredibly powerful. But if you're humble and you're indecisive, that can be disastrous. And so, you know, just, just following blindly the conventional wisdom that says, you know, well, great leaders have to aspire to be humble and transparent and fallible and all these other things. It doesn't give you the picture of what leadership is really like and what really plays out on the ground. So I think I think the part of believing, uh, of not believing your own bullshit and the noble leadership content we put out is all about questioning these things and pulling them apart and saying, okay, guys, this is what you read. This is what you hear, but this is how it works on the ground because I've been there and I've done that. And I can tell you this is what you're going to face. And so I like to take that, uh, the learnings of uh, the practical application of leadership that I have from my career. And yes, I'm only a sample set of one, but you know, taking those learnings from my career and saying, hey, guys, if you want to get better at this, this is what you need to do. It's not easy. It's hard. So you've got to do some hard things and you've got to develop some good habits. But that's better than sitting around just listening to the woman fuzzy stuff. 
For managers trying to improve workplace morale and trying to get more out of their employees, some of these changes can seem incredibly daunting and at times almost impossible. What are some small, tangible changes those managers can make to get the ball rolling? In uh, the book that I'm releasing in the US in uh, August, the end of August, uh, August 31, I have actually the No Bullshit Leadership Framework, which has seven imperatives for how you would pick up and start to become a better leader. And so there are seven uh, particular disciplines that you have to focus on that will give you the wherewithal to improve, as you say, with little steps. Like you're not all of a sudden going to wake up tomorrow and say, hey, I've decided I'm a great leader. Uh, it takes time and it takes energy and it takes some choices and some good habits. And so of those uh, seven imperatives, the first one is create value. That is number one and daylight is second. And as a leader, the very first thing you have to do is to be able to create value and uh, the thing about value is that it comes in many different forms, many different shapes and sizes. It's not just financial value. There can be a range of things. So if you're running a, um, a surgical practice, then value in your terms might be better post-operative outcomes for patients. Value comes in all these different forms. But as a leader, you've got to work out what that is for you, for your context. So what, what does value mean for your organisation for your industry, for your markets, and right at this point in time. Once you define that, don't worry about anything else, that's what your job is, to go after that. And so just that simple act of really understanding what it is that drives value, and then not doing all the other crap. Just stop all the other crap, right? You can free up people's workloads, and you can make it so much more efficient. And if you deliver those top three, four, five things that create the most value, you're going to be okay. You're going to be doing really, really well because you won't be distracted. Uh, and then the other imperatives, obviously, to be a leader, handle conflict, you know, build resilience, work at the right level. Don't do other people's jobs for them. Just do your own job. Master ambiguity, make great decisions, and then drive accountability. So make people individually accountable for the things they have to deliver. And if you do those things and you do them effectively, you don't have to be brilliant at all of them, but if you do those effectively, you'll find that not only will your leadership improve, the culture of your business will be different, completely different. And it's not just about the results for your business. This is what actually drives people to be better. And so people love working for bosses like that, who are strong and have clear expectations and can handle the ups and downs without freaking out. Like that's that's what gives people a great day at work. So you're actually serving the people and the business results at the same time. In the quick oil and quick lube businesses, the priority seems pretty well set, but it's hard to get employees excited about the job and turnover is high. How can managers make the work environment more conducive to collaboration and teamwork when the parameters of the job are that rigid and a lot of the tasks aren't really the most engaging? Yeah, and that's a, that's a fantastic question, Noah, because yeah, some jobs are just, they're, they're hard and, and they're not fun. And people who do them do them because either they are... Um, uh, lacking the skills to do other stuff or because they make a definite choice to do it. And, you know, these are tough roles to be in and, and they are temporary and people do pass through and there's a high turnover. So what I'd say is the one thing that I've found in really mundane jobs that makes it easier is try and make it fun somehow, but you've got to try and bring some fun into it. So um, having an environment and culture where you promote uh, a little bit of competition between the different employees, not in a, um, not in a cutthroat way, but in a, okay, guys, you know, hey, look what Marty did today. He did he did nine of these things. Like, that's got to be a record, doesn't it? 
you know, I bet you would wish you'd done that, John, you know what I mean? Like doing that, doing that sort of just that fun little, you know, competition among the group to bond them a little bit closer. Um, anything you can do to build uh, that team ethic of identification with the team pays you back. So, for example, if you have a competitor that you know of who's uh, visible to you in some way, shape or form, um, you want to see a situation, that, and not at someone else's expense, obviously, but you want to see a situa- situation where your business is booming, where you have, you know, hey, if success for you looks like, you know, cars lined up out to drive for, for three miles, then that's success, right? So you've got to say, you've got to be able to point to those things and say, hey, look at all these cars lined up outside our shop, you know? Down the road, it looks pretty empty to me. <laughs> so it's what, whatever you can do to build that sense of um, team identification and bonding is really useful. Uh, but they're, they're tough jobs and it's tough to motivate in a job that is repetitive and doesn't give that scope for mastery. Yeah, for sure. So bringing it back all the way to the first question, when building that team environment at work, how important is it to make workers feel like they're valued? You know, it's, it's everything. You've got nothing else to stick them there. They, they, there's nothing else that they'll find binds them to a job if all they're doing is exchanging their time for money. That's that's it. They can, they can do that a heap of different ways. Um, and, uh, you know, barring, you know, COVID lockdowns and, and disruptions, you're talking about people at that level having a bunch of different choices about what type of work they do. Um, I, I guess uh, getting your team to feel as though it's more than just that. It's more than just the job. That's really the bottom line. How do we how do we actually make people feel as though it's more than just the nuts and bolts of what they do? This is the one thing that I think is the key to overcoming uh, your fear of conflict. And I think a lot of people in leadership positions are afraid of conflict. It's the natural drive we have as humans to try and avoid conflict because we want acceptance and affiliation with others. Like that's that's what we seek as humans. So I think the number one tip I have for doing that is to put yourself in someone else's shoes. If you're constantly thinking about how something affects you as a leader, then that's what you're going to focus on. You'll focus on the fear and the apprehension and the uncertainty and the lack of confidence that you have personally and individually. If you can actually think of yourself in someone else's shoes and say, okay, um, I might not necessarily want to do this thing I'm just about to do, but I know how important it is for Noah. I know that for him, if I can actually get over this and give him a sense of what he needs to do to improve, or if I can give him a sense of growth, or if I can give him a sense of opportunity, then that's going to be great for him. Now, if I can actually put my head into your space and try and look at the world from your perspective, I, I haven't got time or energy or bandwidth to think about myself. Just try and put yourself in someone else's shoes and think about it from their angle and what they'd like, and then you'll be able to do different things. You'll be able to do more things. You'll be able to do harder things. You'll be able to do better things because you're not so self-focused. So I'd say that would be the number one thing. And that's, funnily enough, that's just what we call empathy. Right? Can you can you actually understand things from another's viewpoint? Uh, so I'd say work on putting yourself in someone else's shoes, see the world from their perspective, and you'll be able to help them a lot more than you would otherwise. And that's all we've got for you today. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've enjoyed this episode, you should subscribe to the Nolan Podcast on whichever platform you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And for the latest quick oil and lube news, visit nolan.net. I'm Noah Brown. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you next week.